And so I just want to preach for a little while from the topic, the pursuit, the pursuit. Um, it's that time of year again, right? Christmas is over. Some people are saying amen. Some people are like, oh, no, I wish it was still there, you know. But Christmas is over. Uh, tomorrow we begin a brand new year, right? And the new year usually brings a lot of excitement for people, doesn't it? It's new years make us think of new starts and new opportunities to fix things that maybe we didn't get right, we thought, in the last year. It's that time of the year where people start making New Year's resolutions, right? And they start going out and getting gym memberships that, as one preacher said, turn into donations. Because after a couple of weeks, you quit going, right? Uh, they say, hey, man, I'm going to save this amount of money this year. And I have to because I actually blew a lot of money on Christmas this past year. There's this habit I want to break. There's this I want to change. And everybody just gets really excited. And they're like, yes, it's a new year. And we're going to do a new thing. And I've got all these plans. And I want you to know something, brothers and sisters. There's nothing wrong with making plans for the new year. Matter of fact, I think that we should. We should do that. But, but the question is, or the, the point is, brothers and sisters, that if your plans and pursuits for 2018 don't motivate you to live more like Jesus in this world, they're pointless. That, that you could lose weight, you could save money, you could buy that new house, you could put that money that you want to in retirement, and at the end of the day, it means absolutely nothing. If your heart's desire is not to pursue ultimately, first and foremost, to be more like Jesus. So as we think about this new year, as we consider what tomorrow will bring, my hope for you, my hope for me, is that our desire would be to pursue Jesus, to look more like him in 2018. And no one understood this desire and pursuit like the Apostle Paul. In our text this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, a church that he planted some years earlier when he visited Philippi back in Acts chapter 16. And now Paul is writing to this church from, a, from, from house arrest in Rome waiting to uh, see Caesar. And he writes a letter to the Philippian church. And it's, the letter to the Philippian church is actually one of his most upbeat letters. I think there's some 16 times that we see the word joy or the word rejoicing in this particular book. Paul doesn't seem to have any major beefs with this church, the same as he does with the Galatians, for instance, um, or the Corinthian church. And Paul is writing them, and really part of this letter is to thank them because they have actually given Paul some financial resources to help in his ministry. And so Paul writes to them, and he begins the third chapter by calling them to rejoice, right? This upbeat reality of the letter. And, and then he goes into warning them. He, he warns them about this group of people. In verse 2, he calls them dogs. They, they are the ones who, who thought that actually faith in Jesus was not enough to save. You had to believe in Jesus plus keep the law, which would have included circumcision. Hint, why he calls them mutilators of the the flesh in verse 2. And so this group of people who actually could all, were also called uh, Judaizers, Paul is talking about them. He's like, watch out for them. You know, they, they, they put confidence in the flesh. But Paul's like, hey, if they could have put confidence in the flesh, they have nothing on me. 
Okay, If it was possible for anybody to attain right standing with God by what they do, it'd be me. And in verses 4 through 6, Paul lays out his religious resume. He talks about being circumcised the eighth day. He talks about being a, uh, 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 from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, and, and all of these things. He, he talks about, but, but thanks be to God, Paul came to recognize that those things ultimately meant nothing. Thank God, Paul, in verses set, starting in verse 7 through verse 9, Paul came to a place in his life where he recognized that all of that stuff that he thought was going to make him right with God actually would never do that. And he says in verses 7 through 8, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law like these dogs in verse 2 thought they could do, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on on faith. Paul came to realize that anything he tried to do to earn God's love would not satisfy, would, would, not, would not make it, would not stand before God. And he came to see that faith in Jesus was what he had to hope in to be right with God. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. Have you been invited here by somebody and you're not yet a Christian? I want you to know that anything you're trusting in right now to be right with God apart from faith in Jesus will fail you. I don't care if it's your job, your education, your financial status, uh, your ability to be a good, moral, upstanding citizen. None of that it will be able to save you. You must come to trust in Jesus who died for sin and rose from the dead. Now, what's interesting, though, is, is that Paul's coming to faith in Jesus alone does not lead him to be stagnant. It doesn't lead him to not be concerned about holiness. You guys ever hear that, Christians who maybe go share the gospel? Maybe you have a Muslim friend or, or Jewish friend, and you go and you tell them, listen, you can actually be right with God by faith in Jesus. And they might say something like, well, so what you saying? All I got to do is believe in Jesus. I can go kill somebody, and then I'll be okay. You ever heard that? From people, listen, Paul would have denied and rejected that. And this text shows us that. Paul recognized that he was saved by grace through faith in Jesus in 7 through 9, but it never led him to stagnation or inactivity, but it leads him in verse 10 to a strong pursuit of Jesus. And so I want us to know this morning that if you have trusted in Jesus, you will pursue Jesus. And that's what he, in verse 10, notice what he says in verse 10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Now, 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 now that's really interesting that he says this. He says, that I may know him. And when he says know, he's not just talking about intellectual information about God. See, a lot of times we mix up information with maturity and transformation. Listen, you can have information about somebody and not know them. Uh, I, I know some stuff about Michael Jordan, but if I was in a grocery store and happened to see Michael Jordan, I was like, hey Mike, what's up, remember me? He'd look at me like I was a fool. 
Because I, at that point, I would have mistaken some information I had about him for actually knowing him. No, Paul understands that knowing is more than information. Yes, you have to have information, right? You have to know information about Christ and know him, but it's more than information. Paul wants to have this deep experiential relationship with Jesus that grows and grows and continues to produce conformity to Jesus in his life. And that's kind of what he says. You notice he says that I may know him. And he says in verse 10, in the power of his resurrection. The power of Jesus' resurrection speaks to the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Which Romans 8 tells us is the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 1 tells us that this power is available to us. What Paul, what Paul is longing for is to know Jesus and to know his power, the power of the Holy Spirit in his life in such a way that transforms him to be more like Jesus. He recognizes there's no power in the law to be able to change him and transform him. He needs the power that the Spirit supplies. So he's like, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But then he says, and share in his sufferings. Christ suffered for us, brothers and sisters, and he calls us to suffer for his glory in the world. And Paul's like, I want to share in that. Paul understood that spiritual maturity was connected <coughs> to his willingness to suffer for Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul had some kind of martyr's complex where he walked around with a badge of honor because he suffered. No, but it does mean that he was willing to suffer for the name of Jesus in the world. And how you feel about suffering and, and your willingness to suffer for Jesus says a lot about how mature you are. You could quote a lot of books of the Bible, but still not be willing to suffer for Jesus. Suffering for Jesus speaks to our maturity. But then notice he says, and becoming like him in his death, verse 10, just as Jesus was put to death for sin, we are called to daily take up our crosses and deny ourselves and the, and, the, and the flesh and what we desire in the world. Paul longed to be like Jesus. He wanted to know him in such a way that it grew him in his maturity and his holiness in Jesus. But what about you and I this morning? Do we long to be like Jesus? As we begin a new year, is that on our minds how we want to be more like Jesus this year? Well, now in verses 12 through 14, I want us to walk through these verses where Paul really teaches us some lessons about what it looks like to pursue Jesus, what it looks like to be like Jesus as we come up on a new year. I have three points I want to share with you this morning. Number one, if we're going to pursue being like Jesus in the new year, you must recognize you have not arrived yet. Number two, you must forget the past. And number three, you must press forward with spirit-empowered effort looking to Jesus in faith. So we'll unpack that in these, in these three verses, 12 through 14. So first, you must recognize you have not arrived yet. 
after Paul talks about his desire to grow in Christ, it's interesting what he says at the beginning of verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. And then in the beginning of verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul is like, I haven't fully come to know Jesus. I'm not totally yet like him. I'm still in this process called sanctification where Jesus is making me more like him, but I'm not there yet. Now, I want you to get this. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, who wrote at this point, probably some at least 10 books of the New Testament at this point, maybe 11 books of the New Testament at this point, eventually writes, what, 13, who has planted churches all over the known Rome, of the Roman world, right? Who's been a Christian at this point some 30 years, who has suffered for Jesus over and over again. And this, Paul says, I'm not there yet. You know, and I want to say, if Paul isn't there yet, then you and me definitely ain't there yet. If anybody could say I'm there, it would be Paul. But he says, I'm not there yet. You know, this helps us to see that there's really no perfection this side of heaven. Which actually kills the teaching. I don't know if you guys have heard of like holiness churches. And what is it about holiness? They're not like talking about holiness, but we talk about holiness. Like, you know, there's a way that you could actually become perfectly holy this side of heaven. Have you ever heard of churches like that? Well, 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 the reality is people that think that way have a very low view and understanding of sin. Because what Paul, who helps us see here is he ain't there. And if he ain't there, ain't nobody this side of heaven there. Excuse my English. Now, I want to tell you that in one sense, this should actually encourage us. It should in one sense. You know, many people come to church week after week with like these plastic masks on of who they are. You talk to them, how you doing today? Oh, I'm highly favored and flavored in the Lord. And I prayed for three hours yesterday. And I did this, I did that. Everything's great, my kids. And they just put on this personification for everybody. It's just a big plastic fake show. And then there's people who are really struggling, who are really hurting, who are really in pain and are really recognizing areas of their life where sin is still there. And they start to think, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm not a Christian because all these other people seem to have it together but me. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to think that. But I hope that this brings encouragement to you today that if Paul wasn't there, if Paul still had work, there's hope for you and me. This should encourage us. But not only should it encourage us, I think it should also rebuke us. Many of us in the church have become so self-righteous. We live as though our marriages are perfect and they're there. We live as though like our prayer lives are just amazing. We live as though we, we, we read our Bible 30 chapters a day and meditate for three hours. And like, 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 we, like we just arrived in our Christian service. Our thoughts are just perfect and pure on Jesus all the time. Our tongues are always right. 
you know, um, all these different kind of things. And in reality, it actually hurts our growth. It hurts our growth. When we act like we've arrived, we do not see a need to continue to pursue being like Jesus, and our growth becomes stunted. I like watching uh, this show on TV called Undisputed. ESPN, Stephen, uh, not Stephen, I'm sorry. I, like, I actually like Undisputed way better than First Take. Please don't throw anything at me. Um, but anyway, you've got uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. I just like this show. I watch it on YouTube and stuff like that. Probably waste too much time doing it. But, but anyway, um, I, I like this show. And if you watch it, Shannon Sharp is like this huge like LeBron fan. Like LeBron could do nothing wrong in Shannon Sharp's, LeBron James basketball player. And Skip Bayless is always criticizing him. And on the show recently, Shannon was talking about all the money that LeBron James spends to, for, for training for basketball. He spent in the millions of dollars for trainers, chefs, workout equipment. Now, LeBron is arguably the best basketball player in the world. So why does he spend all this money on all this stuff? Because he recognizes that for him to become stagnant would mean him not progressing as a basketball player, but actually digressing, degressing as a basketball player. And it's the same thing with the Christian life, brothers and sisters. John MacArthur says this, he says, those who think they have reached spiritual perfection will not see the need to pursue a better condition. Why should they chase something they believe they've already have? Such complacent, contended people are in grave danger of becoming insensitive to their sin and blind to their weaknesses. It is possible, brothers and sisters, that some of us are not growing in Christ's likeness because we live as though we've already arrived. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, when it comes to the Christian life, the best days of growth are always supposed to be ahead. The best, they're supposed to always be ahead. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 days or 50 years. You have not arrived, and you must recognize the real, that reality so that you can become more like Jesus this year. So number one, we have to recognize we haven't arrived yet. But secondly, you must forget the past. You must forget the past. Notice Paul, not only does he make an honest assessment of where he is in the Christian life, but notice what Paul says in the second half of verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. Paul is like, I'm letting the past go. Past is the past. For Paul, I think that would mean his B.C. days, before Christ's days. You know, because Paul had many failures before he was a Christian. He talks about him in this very text. In verse 6, he says that he's a persecutor of the church. He was a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He made life hard for Christians. And, and Jesus says you're actually, he was actually persecuting Jesus by persecuting Jesus' people. But you know, Paul says, I'm letting the past go. And maybe that's a word that some of us need to hear today, that maybe there's some of us now that are still feeling guilt over our life before we were a Christian. I don't know what your life was like. You know, I don't have to, you know what it was like. And maybe you're still feeling guilt over that and feeling bad about that and down about that and discouraged about that. And, and that guilt is still covering you. Well, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that Jesus' blood covers your sin. 
that Jesus has washed away your sin. If you're a Christian, I don't care what you've done in the past. There's no guilt, no shame, because Jesus' blood covers you by faith. And so for some of us, we probably need to start letting go of some of that stuff from before we were a Christian that we're still kind of battling with. But you know, I think that forgetting the past also would have meant forgetting even his sins since he's been a Christian. Because see, some people will say, well, I get the thing of Jesus washing my sins away before I was a Christian, but I don't know about since I've been a Christian. Like, I don't know about that. Well, well Paul, forgetting what's behind would have meant Evan, his, his sins before. And y'all looking like, Paul sinned? Yeah, Paul's not Jesus. Like, we we got to be careful that we don't make heroes out of our Bible characters. There's only one hero in the Bible, and that's Jesus. But anyway, he, he, he would have forgotten those things. And maybe this year you're looking now and you're thinking about mistakes and sins and shortcomings throughout the year, and you're still holding on to those things, and they're actually paralyzing you from being able to go forward. I know what that's like. I do that. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that First John says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Jesus died for your past, present, and future sins. And when you confess and repent of them, he does not remember them. He doesn't. We need to, when we sin, we need to confess our sin, repent of it, and we need to look to Jesus, believing in faith that he's washed all my sins away and move forward in Jesus. What sins from this year are holding you back? Maybe you need to take to the Lord and say, Lord, I've asked for forgiveness. I believe your blood covers it. Help me to move forward. But you know, I don't think that it just deals with Paul's past failures. I think even Paul's past successes. The Paul is even letting go of his past successes. He's like, I'm not going to keep thinking about all the churches I planted 20 years ago and all the books I wrote. No, I've got work to do moving forward. Maybe you're here and, and, your, and your temptation isn't to look at the past failures. Maybe yours is to look at your past successes. Maybe you're here and you're resting on the fact that you used to go down to Willer Mission every Saturday and serve the homeless or, or used to serve in the children's ministry at College Park or you used to read your Bible every year. You used to do this, you used to do that, you used to do that and you're just living in the past of what you used to do. Brothers and sisters, if your Christian life Sounds a lot like a lot of 50, a few 50 and 60-year-old guys sitting around talking about the glory days of high school. You need to let it go and move forward. There's more that Jesus wants you to do. I don't care if you're 8 or 80. As long as there's breath in your body, Jesus wants to make you more like him. Maybe for you, it's thinking 2017, and you're sitting back now, man, I had a great year. I read the Bible, I did all this. Man, this year, I'm just going to kind of kick back a little bit. I deserve a break. There are no breaks in the Christian life. There's rest in Jesus, but no breaks in the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, have you ever tried to drive a car looking backwards. Pretty dangerous, wouldn't it be? <laughs> or maybe some of you were past athletes or thought you were athletes. I don't know. 
and, and, and you used to run maybe cross-country or track. And the goal of it is what? When you run, to keep looking forward. Because to look back gets you off track. But then somebody might be saying, well, hold on a second, preacher. Is it past experiences the best teachers? I think, I think there's some truth to that. That there are lessons we learn from what we've done before. So what I'll say is like John Piper says, only look back if it helps you move forward. Only look back to move forward. I don't care what failures or successes, 2017 or 1982, move forward in Jesus. So, number one, we've got to realize we're not there yet. Number two, we've got to realize we've got to forget the past. But third and finally, you must press forward with spirit-empowered effort, looking to Jesus in faith. Say that again. You must press forward with spirit-empowered effort, looking to Jesus in faith. Notice verse 13 and 14 again. He said, 13, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says he's straining forward to what lies ahead. This passage is like the imagery of a race, maybe a race that would have happened in those days in the in, in Roman, Roman games or whatnot. And, and he, 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 Paul loves sports, by the way. If you look at the Bible, a lot of his illustrations are about boxing or running or they didn't have basketball back then. I think maybe he'd be in that if they had it. They'd have it back then. But anyway... Um, but, but anyway, he, he, so, so the idea is of a runner that's running and there's a goal in front of him and you're straining and stretching to get to the goal for the prize that's there. You know, it's interesting. Paul uses the same word for press on that he uses for persecute in verse 6. Isn't that just a beautiful picture of God's grace? That God has a way of coming in and shifting what your pursuits and passions are. Like, like, like he, was a, he was striving with all his might after persecuting Christians because he thought he was glorifying God. And he met Jesus on Damascus Road and Jesus changed him. And he now he's running after Jesus, straining with everything he has. In a spiritual sense, Paul is running this race, straining after Jesus. And he's running towards, for a goal towards a finish line. And he's running, and he's running towards the finish line for this prize. And what's this prize? I don't fully, I know it's going to be Jesus and, and totally being like Jesus and being with Jesus and all the benefits that come with that when he sees him face to face in heaven. 
And so the question might come to your mind, well, well, hold on, preacher. Are you saying that it's our effort that gets us to heaven? No. We're saved by grace through faith, but if we're really saved, then we'll strain after Jesus. That's what Paul, look, look, that's what Paul says in verse 12 again. Look, look at the second half of verse 12. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Jesus grabbed a hold of Paul and Paul ran after Jesus. Jesus grabs a hold of us and then we run after Jesus. We're not saved by running after Jesus, but if we're really saved, we run after Jesus. Paul understood that this goal was for life that he had to keep doing as long as there was breath in his body. Evidence of that, 2 Timothy 4.13, Paul is in prison about to be killed for his faith. And he writes a last letter to his faithful son in the faith, Timothy. And he says in verse 13 of chapter 4, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, all the parchments. Paul asked for a cloak probably because he's in a cold jail. But notice he asked for the books above all the parchments. Paul is about to die, and he still wants God's word because he still wants to know Jesus more. Even when he's about to die, he's like, there's still breath in my body. There's still room to grow. And that's why he can say at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Not just Paul, but all who have loved his appearing. I don't know about you, but I want to pray to that end that that's the, the hope and confidence that, and, and, the, and the integrity that I can have to be able to say that, man, Lord, I've done it. I'm not, I, when I look at my life now, I know there's areas I need to grow in, definitely. I'm sure you do too, but I want to be able to say that I fought the fight, finished the race. Amen? Now, in, in, in light of a sermon... Um, in light of a, a sermon like this, it, it can be very easy for us to hear this and the temptation can be, can be we get real hype. Like, yeah, man, I'm going to read the Bible 10 times this year. I'm going to pray for four hours a day. Pastor TC came, we're going to pursue Jesus. Like, I'm going to share the gospel with a thousand people. I'm going to serve in children's church every Sunday. The pastor said, amen. But, but, um, you know, we're going to do all of this. You're going to do all this. But, but, but you know what? If you didn't read the Bible once in 2017, you're probably not going to read it 10 times in 2018. Maybe it'd be possible, but probably not. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, it's the small changes that bring about major growth. Maybe pressing, maybe for you, 
Pressing towards Jesus means I'm going to read my Bible once this year or the New Testament once this year. I I don't know. Or or maybe it's I'm going to read my Bible for 15 minutes every day, and I'm going to do that before I look at my email or my social media. That's something I want to do. I need to do a better job of. Um, Or maybe it's I'm going to spend 10 minutes in prayer in my bed after the alarm goes off before I get out of the bed. Five minutes. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's that three times a week you're going to journal about what what you've read in Scripture. Or maybe you're going to join a small group. Maybe that's the next step for you. Or you're going to memorize the fighter verse that's in the bulletin here at College Park as often as it's in there. Maybe you're not going to read a thousand books this year like Brad Merchant. But you got, did you guys see his blog? He puts up all his books he reads and stuff. It's awesome. I always, he's just such a smart guy. I wish I could be him. Um, but, but maybe you're not going to read a thousand books this year like him. But maybe for you, it's, I'm going to read three significant Christian books this year that are going to help me be more like Jesus. Or one book. I don't know. We need to get away from the mindset, this mindset that either I'm going to do it real big or I'm not going to do anything. Because what ends up happening is we get real discouraged and we end up not doing anything. We need to do something because growth in the Christian life does not happen apart from effort. But I've got some good news for you. It's not an effort that's by itself. It's an effort that is empowered by God's Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit who lives in you. That You have power inside of you. You have access to the greatest power in the world, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And you can tap into that power to actually empower your effort to push forward in Jesus. But you know what? You know another, discour- another temptation from a sermon like this as we get ready to close? That you can sit here and be so discouraged about your last year. Be so down. Man, I started out saying I was going to read my Bible every day and I didn't do good in that. I started out saying I was going to do this, started out doing that. Man, I always just mess up. And the temptation for you might be to go out of here with your head down. Maybe, that, maybe that's the temptation for you. That's not where you need to be. Jesus' love for you, Christian, is not contingent on your effort. God's love for you is not contingent on your effort. It's contingent on the effort of another, Jesus, who died in the place of sinners. And so you might, you leaving here being discouraged and you think like if you just get guilty enough and just down enough, it's actually going to make you do something. It won't. It won't. It'll lead you away from God. But God wants you to come to Jesus. See, you have to understand that Paul's pressing after Jesus was motivated by the fact that Jesus grabbed him. That that he saw that Jesus died for his sin, rose from the dead, secured heaven for him, and that motivated him to keep pushing towards Jesus. When you fail this year, repent and push towards Jesus, knowing that he's done everything to secure salvation for you. You can't do anything to add to God's love for you. 
It is secure in the death and resurrection of his son by faith. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the things that you're pursuing and you're hoping to experience in 2018 will not bring you any satisfaction. They won't. You will not start to feel satisfaction until you come to Jesus, recognizing that you're a sinner who has rebelled against a holy God, that you deserve to go to hell. But the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus, who was perfect in every way, died on the cross for sin, rose from the dead. And when you recognize that turn from your sin, trust in Jesus, your life will start to have purpose. Your pursuits will have purpose. But that is only through Jesus. So my hope for you today is that today for you non-Christian is that today is not just a new year, but a new birth. That you would trust in Jesus to be forgiven through Jesus so that you could have a righteousness outside of yourself that you could never earn through Jesus. Would you consider that? Would you, would you talk to God about that? Ask him to open your heart to believe that? Well, we begin a new year tomorrow, brothers and sisters. And my hope for myself and my hope for you is that we will pursue Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We honor you. We praise you. God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us in Christ. Father, I thank you for a new year, God. I thank you for the blessings of 2017. I thank you for the victories of 2017. But God, help me not to rest in them, Father. And Father, I know I've had many failures, and my brothers and sisters have had many failures in 2017, but help us not to stay back in those. Help us to run forward after you so that next year at this time we'll look and see that we're at least a little closer to you. Father, draw those who don't know you to where real pursuit should be, and that's in Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.